Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Great to be with you. It's, a, it's an honor and a privilege. Thank you to all of you joining us, uh, no matter where you are. You're a part of the Christ Chapel family if you are at one of our physical venues or if you're just joining us online. So, so grateful to be able to uh, open God's word with you and be able to study uh, what he says to us uh, today. Uh, last week, I, I started off my sermon talking about uh, one of my first classes in seminary, but I wanted to take you back to one of your first classes maybe uh, ever to something that was done in schools uh, way back when and that's continuing to be done in schools today because my boys uh, still do it and that is the segment of school called show and tell. You remember this, you probably all participated in that. As I said, my, my boys still do, where their teacher asked them to bring uh, something from home so that they can describe it or it helps them to lead into a story. And it can be, you know, they are asked to bring their favorite toy or they're asked to bring a souvenir from a trip that they took. And uh, it's really helpful uh, to have those items, both for the one who is telling, but also for the ones that are being told and being shown. It's super helpful because if you're the one telling, it helps to have that item there almost as a prompt, something that you, you can look to and go, oh yeah, I need to tell you about this and I need to tell you about that. And for the person that is listening, it really helps because it makes those words more concrete. That item brings some vibrancy, some, some color, and some, some texture to the story or what is trying to be uh, described. Uh, take out the showing, and the telling is more difficult to do and more difficult to hear. It takes both. It takes both showing and telling to get across an idea in really a way that someone can, can grab hold of it can embrace it, can, can grasp it. Now, here's why I tell you that, because last week we talked about being Christ's witnesses. And if you'll remember from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the verse that we talked about, Jesus told his disciples who would become apostles, remember apostle means sent one, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we talked about what that word witness means. It literally means to tell of what you've seen. That's what Jesus was going to empower them with the Holy Spirit to enable them to do. Just go tell people basically about him. But what's really important to understand is they weren't just supposed to tell, they were also supposed to show. And I think that that's really helpful because you can't do one without the other. I mean, I guess you can, but it doesn't make as much sense. Uh, In order to tell people about who Jesus is, it really helps if you show them who Jesus is. Remove the showing And the telling is much harder to do. And I think that's encouraging for all of us who want to be Christ's witnesses. Because sometimes it's just hard to jump into a conversation and just, hey, have you heard of this guy named Jesus? You know, really hard to start off that way. But if you show people Jesus and begin in that way, you have a, a springboard. 
You've built a bridge into their life to show them that you actually care. And it goes back to that old adage that you've all heard. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's so true. And in order to be Christ's witnesses, absolutely you have to tell. We can't remove the telling, but you also have to show. You can't remove the showing. You have to both show and tell, and that's what helps communicate the message to people who need to hear about Jesus. In fact, there's a poem that maybe some of you have heard, and I don't have time to read the whole one, that I think exemplifies this point where the writer says, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. And it ends by saying, for I might misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. The showing has to go with the telling in order to be Christ's witness. And as we desire to reach those 800,000 in our own backyard who do not know or walk with Jesus, we have to be about telling. They have to know who Jesus is. But we also have to show them that we care for them as individuals and life in general. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So if you will, grab your sermon notes and pull those out because you'll need those as we walk through this subject of being a witness for Christ, but ultimately that's being a witness for life, something that he cared about. And I want to do something a little bit different today. Uh, what we'll be doing, as we always do uh, here at Christ Chapel, is exegete the scriptures. But what I want to do uh, today, we will have some, some scriptures that I break down, but rather I would rather exegete culture today. And not so much this culture, I think you understand the culture that we live in today, but I want to exegete the first century culture, uh, what the culture was like that the church was birthed into. What was the culture like where the church burst on the scene? Because ironically, and you may not know this, and we oftentimes fail to think about this, the culture that the church was birthed in in the first century was very similar to the culture that we live in today. Certainly there were differences in technology, but when you look at the issues that were at hand, those issues that the early church faced were very similar to the issues that our church faces today in our culture. And the reason why I'm taking a different approach is because today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It's the day that we have, uh, in the history of our church, raised up the value of life. That we do care for life, and we don't just care for birth, but we care for life from womb to tomb. We care about the entire segment of a person's life, and we think that that models the heart of God. And so what I want to do today is I want to show you how Jesus demonstrated his care for life from womb to tomb, and how the, the disciples witnessed that, 
how they saw that, and how that influenced how they projected that into the culture as they projected and witnessed for Christ's heart in all of the world. And I'll show you how that was based on Scripture. And then I want to show you how our church lives that out in our culture and modern context uh, today. But I would like to say this, because as soon as I mention uh, sanctity of human life, uh, there are a myriad of different responses in people's minds and hearts. Uh, Some people come in and they are very supportive. Uh, Some folks come in and they're very skeptical. And other people have scars in their past from different things that have happened. Um, And I just want to say first, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, Thank you for giving me the benefit of the doubt. Thank you for uh, listening to God's word. I think God's word has something to say uh, to each of us. And our church cares where you are. And our church wants to minister to you wherever you are, whether you're supportive, skeptical, or scarred. We are here from you. So thank you. Uh, Thank you for being here to listen to this message. And I've been praying for you that God would speak to you uh, throughout the week, that God would speak to you uh, this morning. So let's jump into the first part where I want to show you that the early church witnessed Jesus caring for life differently than society did. The early church witnessed Jesus caring for life differently than society did. You know, one of the things that we don't often dive into or dig into is what culture was like during that time in regard to how they viewed people in general. But I'm, I'm going to make some, some uh, generalities from things that we understand from ancient texts here just to give you some categories of how society felt about people in general. Uh, back in the first century, uh, men were definitely uh, more valuable than women in their minds and eyes. Uh, women were not given a voice uh, in that day. And you see uh, Jesus flipping that script Uh, speaking to women, spending time with women, validating women in his time. Jesus was doing something totally opposite uh, from the culture in that day. Uh, You also see Jesus interacting with people that were untouchable. Uh, You see him feeding and caring for the poor and needy who were oftentimes overlooked. Uh, Back in those times, children were often seen as threats. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. And you see Jesus reaching out to children. Uh, Jesus treated people differently than society did at this time. Jesus stepped into those places and said, I I know this is how society feels, but I feel differently as he carried the heart of God. And you see this contrasted throughout uh, the the scriptures and really throughout the gospels. And so I want to take a few of those examples and show you how what Jesus said contrasted with the society of the first century. So for instance, uh, first, Jesus valued a human soul above other aspects of his creation. Jesus valued a human soul above other aspects of his creation. Uh, In Matthew chapter six, 
uh, Jesus is telling the disciples, he's doing one of his teachings, it's really the, a part of this Sermon on the Mount, and he's teaching them about how much he cares for them. And he says, hey, don't you see the lilies of the field? Don't you see the birds of the air? Like, they don't worry about where they are going to get their next meal. They don't worry about how they're nourished or fed. And he says this statement to those who are listening, how much more valuable are you? How much more valuable are you than the birds, than the flowers? He valued a human soul even more than creation, which was totally different than society in that day, which oftentimes left infants specifically to go the way of creation. Here, here's what I mean by that. In, in ancient uh, Ro- Roman law, uh, babies specifically, the, the unborn and infants, were not giving any rights under Roman law. Uh, they, they weren't seen as, as valuable. They, they weren't seen as, as even keepable uh, sometimes. Um, they, they were oftentimes infanticide was actually a practice. It was available. It was sometimes even encouraged. Um, if you look back at some of the ancient writings, what you will find is that uh, parents, if there was an unwanted child, would actually leave them to go of the way of creation. They would leave them outside of forests. Uh, they would leave them uh, beside rivers. Uh, this was called exposure. Um, and exposure was actually um, uh, it wasn't prosecuted in any way uh, back under Roman law. It was allowed at those times. And the parents weren't seen as culpable at the time because they were leaving it to creation. They were letting the child go the way of creation. They weren't necessarily killing the child. They were just letting nature take its course. And obviously you know what would happen to an infant that was exposed uh, in that way. And what you see in the first century and what you see uh, continuing on is that early Christians would actually go to those spots where infants were oftentimes left and they would rescue uh, those children. We have a man in the second century who provided refuge to those abandoned children and actually would go and rescue them and then place them in Christian homes. Almost an early uh, example of an adoption agency in a sense of rescuing these children that were left to go nature's way so that they were valued above creation, not just to follow the circle of life because Jesus valued a human soul above other aspects of his creation. We also see that Jesus had a heart for children who were often undervalued. Jesus had a heart for children who were often undervalued. You've heard that saying before, and uh, I haven't heard it much in our modern culture, but um, that that children are oftentimes better seen than heard. Uh, Well, in those times, children were better not seen and not heard. Uh, Nobody wanted the children to uh, be a part of any aspect of life. In fact, we have an example in Scripture in Matthew chapter 19 where uh, Jesus is 
preaching and teaching and everybody's coming to him. And all of these parents want to come and bring their children to Jesus so he will touch them. And it says that the disciples were indignant. They, 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 they do not want Jesus bothered with these bottle suckers, you know, they, with, these, with these ankle biters. Do, don't, don't bother him with the children. And Jesus gets on to them and says, don't get in the way of children coming to me. Let the little children come to me. Jesus had a heart for children. He wanted them to come into life in existence and then come to him. He says, for such to them belongs the kingdom of heaven. And this was certainly antithetical to the day in modern society. As I told you, children were oftentimes seen as threats in first century culture when the church was entered onto the scene. And we know that abortion during that time was uh, available and honestly easily accessible. Uh, It wasn't always safe. Uh, They practiced mechanical and chemical abortion, but they did it for a myriad of reasons. Uh, Some of it was to conceal uh, sexual behavior. Uh, Some of it oftentimes, though, was to limit the amount of heirs uh, to an inheritance. And that especially was the case if sexual activity happened with someone of a lower class. Uh, There were class systems in that day, which is another thing that Jesus stepped into to uh, abolish, to to, he he, uh, interacted with and conversed with and touched and fellowshiped with people of different classes. Um, and so, but that uh, abortion during those times was widely practiced uh, for those means. But Jesus obviously did, was not for that and wanted the little children to come into existence and come to him. And finally, Jesus came to give abundant life to all people. Uh, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus makes a great contrast that I love. He says, The thief, and he's talking about the devil, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come to give life and life abundantly. A very stark contrast of what is the devil's end and what is Jesus's end. Jesus wanted life, and again, that was life for everyone that he interacted with. What we see is that is totally different from, from that time. Uh, in Roman society, they had a very utilitarian view of a person. A very utilitarian. If a person was useful to the empire, then they were valued. If a person is not useful, not valued. You, you understand that. So this utilitarian view was very prominent during that time. In fact, we see uh, Plato, you've heard of Plato before. He says, the state's ideals and needs take precedence over the life and rights of the unborn. The, the state's ideals and needs take precedent over the rights and life of the unborn. And the ideals that they had were first of gender. They wanted male children, so male children could be soldiers, Uh, That was a particular one. A family size, 
Uh, they didn't want too, too many children that the state could not uh, support, and it also dealt with ability. Uh, they didn't want any, uh, any infirmed children or uh, disformed children, in a sense. That was their ideal. In fact, Aristotle came along in, in his uh, writing on politics, said that the state must regulate procreation to produce the finest human material. And if these certain regulations were not followed, that, quote, abortion must be practiced. Um, all based on the state's ideals, the utilitarian view that you exist for the, the state to, to see their agenda move forward. But what we see is the church stepping into this as they witness for the heart of Jesus by showing and telling. And we have an example of a particular Christian man in the early third century who offered nourishment and protection to abandoned children, but specifically some of those children who had disabilities because they tr the, the parents tried to abort them. And they had these disabilities and were therefore exposed and they would take them in and try to minister to them and raise them up to have life. Uh, the early church was stepping into the things that they saw Jesus model during those times. But see, the early church modeled the life of Jesus who only lived according to scripture. And I think this is an important point because I don't want you to think that Jesus just showed up and this was all of a sudden new. Uh, that that the, the ideals and the things that he was uh, working toward and fighting for and living out were new in that society. And so you go, well, society didn't know. Jesus was introducing something new. No, everybody knew. And I want to give you, some, I'll give you some Old Testament examples of these things that God's heart valued life and Jesus was only incarnating uh, God's heart. Uh, let me go through a few. First, uh, God is the creator of life and creates people in his image. That, that is scriptural. God is the creator of life and creates people in his image. And one of the reasons why we believe that life is sacred, life of the human being is sacred, is because uh, human beings have a soul, an eternality to them. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, uh, in the creation account, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, or humankind, after our likeness the eternality of our triune God. That is one aspect in which human beings are created in the image of God. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God is the author of life, and he created human beings in his image, giving them a soul, which was Plato actually said that a soul is breathed into a human being at birth. When they take their first breath outside of the womb, that that is when they inhale a soul, which is different than what, uh, what God has taught throughout Scripture, is that life begins at conception, and that's exactly where we're headed. God begins life at conception and has a purpose for every life. God, God is the only one who can bring together uh, these two things, 
you adults know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm trying to introduce as few terms as possible here for all the children in the room uh, to have mercy on the parents. Um, But God is the one who has to bring those things together. In Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, it says, For you formed my inward parts, the psalmist says. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Life begins at conception. Life begins at conception. And we actually see one of our early church fathers specifically arguing for this, Tertullian, early on in the second century. He is arguing that life begins at conception, and he's arguing it actually from logic, medicine at the time, it wasn't necessarily called science, but medicine at the time, and scripture. So we see Tertullian uh, purporting this early Christian ethic about life beginning at conception in the early church. And we obviously believe that too. And actually science continues to point to that, that life begins at conception. When you look at this, the things that science is telling us these days, uh, gender can be determined after one week after conception. Um, a heartbeat can be uh, uh, determined after 24 days. Um, all, of, all of these things are, are leading back to uh, life begins at conception, which uh, sometimes the argument is not even about does life begin at conception. It's more, uh, it's actually now turned because science affirms that life begins uh, at conception. The argument now turns to personhood rather than life. And people now, uh, the argument has turned more towards, well, that's, that's not a person per se until they're a certain size, until there are certain uh, developments, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which don't apply to uh, adult human beings uh, or even children human beings. And they shouldn't apply to preborn human beings either. So God begins life at conception as a purpose for every life. We also see that God's law equated life of the preborn with that of a responsible adult. God's law, uh, God's law equated life of the preborn with that of a responsible adult. Uh, as I said in, in Greco-Roman law, there were no uh, rights uh, that were given to the preborn child. In fact, there, we don't see historically any laws against aborting a child until the third century. And many historians believe that's because of the work of the early church in being a witness for life and turning the tide. And that happened, obviously, with Constantine making that the religion of the land in a sense. But early Christians having an effect, so much so that the laws of the land changed. But we see God's law was that way all the way from the beginning. In Exodus chapter 21, we see that if a responsible adult causes the death of a preborn child, that that in God's law, it says it's life for life. That's where you've seen that before. It, uh, it's uh, taken, the Hammurabi Code taken from that it's eye for an eye. This is life for a life. That a responsible adult is just as valuable as a preborn a child. That's what God's law equated it to. So we see the, the early church carrying on the life of Jesus that was countercultural 
in society at the time of the, the early church. And I want you to know that our church continues the work of Jesus today by caring for life. Our church continues the work of Jesus by caring for life. This work that Jesus began uh, way back when, if you'll remember Acts chapter 1, that's what it says. It says uh, when, when Luke is recording it for Theophilus, this goes back to the January 8th sermon, but he says, I've recorded all that Jesus began to do and teach. That, that was what he started and the early church was carrying it on and now the responsibility to be a witness for life and a witness for Christ continues for us uh, as a church. And so I just want to give you some examples of what that looks like because all the way back to 2012, there was an initiative begun called the Four Life Initiative so that we could more proactively step into these issues of life in our own communities. And that initiative has now turned into a ministry as it's over a decade old now. And we now, it, it is a common thing that we step into those issues Caring for life, as I said, from womb to tomb. Not just being pro-birth, but also being pro-life. Uh, we, we want everyone to experience the abundant life that Jesus has for them. And so I want to give you some of those examples. So first one is this. We as a church care for women and pre-born babies by partnering with faith-based pregnancy centers. We care for women and pre-born babies by partnering with faith-based pregnancy centers. This is, is no secret to anybody that's attended Christ Chapel for a while. You know how involved we are in this. Uh, you have given financially to this for a decade now. You've given millions of dollars uh, to help not only those preborn children, but to help those women who find themselves in that very stressful, uh, critical situation and point in time in their life. And we've stepped into that, and you've stepped into that. Many of you are volunteering at those pregnancy centers, but we have partnerships in Tarrant County, Tarrant County, Parker County, and Johnson County all over saying that we care for those women. As you can imagine, uh, this has been uh, integral as last year Roe v. Wade was reversed, and this has created a lot of... Um, an influx of folks coming into those pregnancy centers, and we have been trying to step into that. And it's not, as I said, it's not just for the unborn child. That certainly is a help. You have helped by those sonograms, which the vast majority of women who see uh, the sonogram, their baby on a sonogram end up choosing life. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But another reason why we want that is there have been studies on both sides, uh, whether, however you view the preborn, there have been studies uh, that both sides have done, but both of them say the same things, that women who end up not choosing life, they end up with higher rates of depression and suicidal ideation. Stepping into these issues isn't just for the preborn; it's also for the mother, and we care about the mother as well. And so stepping into these pregnancy centers helps the, both of those folks. And so we want to step into those, and we do that through volunteerism. We have a ministry here, uh, ladies that get together and they make quilts so that that will be the first baby blanket that that mom receives. 
uh, and they choose life and they do this. They pray over those blankets. Wonderful ministry that we have there. We also have Oasis for Single Moms where we can minister to those moms in a very specific way. And so we have those moms here uh, in our church and we're so thankful for them. So we care for women and preborn babies with the pregnancy centers. Second, we care for children who need forever homes through adoption and advocacy. Children who need forever homes through adoption and advocacy. In 2015, there were 430 uh, children in the Tarrant County foster system. Today, there are over 1,600 in the system. Part of that is because of the reversal of Roe v. Wade of last, uh, last year. And as I said, when that happened, if, if any of you heard that message, uh, although that uh, determination by the Supreme Court might have saved lives, it's now our responsibility to support those lives. Uh, the spotlight is on us. If you, if you are for life to say, okay, now what are you going to do about it? This is a place where we have to do something about it. And what we've seen is over the past year that the volunteers in this particular ministry, the volunteerism has tripled, which I'm so thankful for. We have 125 CASA advocates that go in and are court-appointed supporters and advocates of those particular children. And we work with those families because there are a variety of ways that you can support the foster system and support those families who want to adopt. We even have a way to financially help those families who want to adopt uh, because we believe that those children need those forever families. And by the way, also, I also know that there are some couples who want to have a child in their forever families. And we have ministries for you too because we haven't overlooked you. We have a ministry called Waiting in Hope uh, that we'd love to, for you to be a part of if you find yourself in that situation because I know that that's incredibly hard uh, also. And then finally, we care for youth who are exploited by su- uh, supporting local law enforcement and rescue efforts. Uh, DFW has one of the highest uh, sex trafficking rates in the nation, uh, many of those minors. And we step into that, uh, some of you have stepped into that to volunteer. We have on-call crisis counselors who are trained uh, here in our church, which I'm super thankful for. Uh, you have helped support a youth drop-in center that was, at the time in 2020, the first of its kind and has now become the national model uh, that people are implementing in other cities in our nation. Uh, but we're also part of networks, networking law enforcement, uh, networking other churches, and networking nonprofits to help this uh, help this thing stop so that we can minister to these folks that have found themselves in sex trafficking. In fact, we hosted a summit, I think it was two weeks ago now. Uh, I I actually saw the news report on it, uh, but you didn't see Christ Chapel's name on on the news report where they were saying this was very positive. Hosted about 200 leaders uh, who were here from law enforcement. Uh, Chief Noakes from uh, Fort Worth uh, Police Department spoke. Uh, Maddie Parker spoke here. I love the involvement there, but my favorite thing about this was uh, that summit was streamed into prisons so that folks who found themselves trafficked had strategically placed Christian counselors there to be advocates for and process that stuff so that they could find their way out of it. So God is doing great, 
great and wonderful things. So here's my admonition for us. To be a witness for Christ, we have to show and tell of his heart for life. To be a witness for Christ, we have to show and tell of his heart for life. And there are so many ways that you can show and and tell that, whether it's praying, whether it's giving uh, uh, financially, whether it's getting involved and volunteering, and you can find out uh, so many of those different ways by just going onto our website or even coming to uh, our lunch today, our luncheon today at the Fort Worth campus at 1230. would love to tell you uh, more of those ways. But maybe you find yourself today in a place where you're not ready to give to that, but rather you need to receive. And I, I want to tell you, this is a place for you. This is a place for you. And it's one of the things I'm really excited about. This spring, we are going to start our first ever post-abortion support group for those folks that have experienced abortion but need to process that, need to heal, need to experience grace, redemption, healing, forgiveness, all of those wonderful things. We're going to start that through our soul care ministry of this spring. And you might be saying, well, Cody, what do you guys know about that? Uh, we have plenty of congregants and we have staff members who have walked through that in their past. And God has done wonderful things in their life. And so uh, that's what we are called to do is give the comfort that we have received. And so if you find yourself in that place, this is a place for you. Uh, allow us an opportunity to, to walk alongside you and, and hope, hopefully show you who Jesus is rather than just tell you. Because what I hope that everyone gets from this is that God cares. I hope you hear that he cares for you, but I also hope that you see that we do too. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you care about life, life in in every form, in every aspect. Thank you that every human being is valuable in your eyes and they're valuable in your church's eyes too. That there is no one that is less, there's no one that is more. But Lord God, you love us all the same, so much so that you gave your son to die for us. And so, Lord God, may we take the life that we've seen you give us and share that as we show and tell that to those in our community. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.